this here. Yo. <clears throat> mm, yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Hope you're having a good week. You're staying safe. It looks like the light at the end of the tunnel might be near for the whole quarantine life thing, uh, depending on what part of the world you're at. It might be a little longer than others. But um, look, while we're on quarantine, we're all at home. There's not a lot of news to talk about. So I thought it might be fun to do another Ask Me Anything segment here on my channel. So we've done these before. And of course, I know you guys are going to have boxing questions, but one of the reasons why I like to do these videos is we can get a little more personal with it. So anything goes. There is nothing out of bounds. Ask away. It could be about my childhood, uh, my thoughts on something. It could be you know politics, religion, uh, philosophy, whatever. Um, also, look, some of you guys have asked me about uh, workout tips. You know, I do have a, a history in sports and athletics. I turned 41 in a couple months, and I'm in pretty good shape, I would say, so I have some good advice on that stuff. Also, some of you guys have asked me about relationship advice before, particularly some of you younger guys, you know, advice with the ladies. Any ladies watching this, if you want to know some inside scoop on us men and the way we think, just drop it below, okay? Uh, drop a question in the comments section below on this video, and I will address them in a response video in the next few days. But I also want to uh, put, put you guys on to an interview I saw with uh, Paulie Malignaggi on IFL TV. It's about 13 minutes long, and I will uh, pin that in a comment below so you guys can see that. Make sure you check it out because it hit home with me in a couple of points Paulie made. Now, say what you will about Paulie. Look, in the past, I've had some issues with some of the things he said. He kind of, especially when he went with PBC, he kind of towed the promotional line a little bit. But when it comes to, um, I guess, anything that's a, an issue that's bigger than boxing and just about life in general, Pauly has been pretty consistent on that shit. And whether you agree with him or disagree with him, what I really respect about the guy, he's one of the few people out there that is not afraid to tell the truth. Many people, most people, are just afraid to give their thoughts on certain subjects or they kind of tow a political line. And with him, he just tells you the truth. He just tells you the way he sees it. So on this uh, interview with IFL TV, he was asked about Devin Haney's comments. And I just really appreciated what Pauli Malignaggi responded with. Now, he didn't bring it up because he wanted to. He was asked about it. And he said some things that I think will ruffle some feathers. And some of the people who have defended Paulie in recent years are suddenly going to go after him. But he only brought this stuff up and addressed it because he was asked about it. So let's back up just a bit and talk about Devin Haney's comments. I'm not going to go into too many details. You guys all know right now about the white boy stuff with uh, Vasily Lomachenko. He was on a channel that uh, expresses a very extremist, radical viewpoint. And I think Devin was, you know, maybe a little bit of peer pressure trying to pander to that base, and he slipped up, and he said something that did offend a lot of people. Some people out there laughed it off, like, this shouldn't be offensive. Some people were offended by it. Some people, I think, were overly outraged, but it's 2020. That's the norm. But to Devin Haney's credit, he's walked the comments back. In fact, I'm looking here on my screen. You guys can't see this, but I'm looking uh, here at his Twitter uh, account, and I'll read a little bit of this tweet he sent out uh, yesterday. It reads, uh, over the last couple of days, I've had time to reflect on a lot. 
I sincerely regret using a term that I have now learned to be derogatory to many of my fans, friends, and associates. And he goes on from there. So some people, you know, it's funny. I expanded this tweet and I looked at some of the responses. And some of you guys out there are like, I'm never going to forgive you. Once a racist, always a racist, blah, blah, blah. Look, I think some of you need to lighten up. Just unclench your asshole a little bit. This kid's 21. He said something stupid, but I hardly, hardly believe that any of you watching this have never said something stupid yourself. I've said plenty of stupid things. It's part of being a human being, especially one in your early 20s. Now, was it a racial term? Was it a, or a racist term? Was it derogatory? I mean, we can go back and forth on that. I think clearly, if you look at the context of the way he used it, there is a dynamic there that at least indicates, hey, I'm superior, this group's inferior. That's the very definition of racism. A lot of people overuse that term, racist. It's probably the most overused word in the English language today. But there's a difference between saying something that could be interpreted as racist and being a racist. Do I really think Devin Haney hates Caucasian people? I don't think that. I truly don't believe that. Do I think he thinks the the African race, African-American race is superior to that of quote unquote white people? I don't think that. But his terminology lended itself to be interpreted that way. So anyway, the kid walked it back. Some of you need to just lighten up. Let's give the kid a pass. And, you know, he says he's learned from this. I take him at his word. Did his team get on him and help him script this message and everything? Yeah, probably. But he did the right thing. So let's all move on. Back to Pauli Malignaggi. When he was asked about this, he essentially said what I just said in his way. But he followed it with this. And this is what kind of hit home with me and what I found very interesting and what I feel is going to ruffle feathers. He said, I, I guess Devin Haney didn't get the memo, but Eastern Europeans have kind of started taking over the sport. If you look at the pound for pound ratings and you look at the ratings in several divisions, including the division Devin Haney fights in currently, there's a lot of quote unquote white boys whooping people's asses. So, and Paulie went on to say, you know, African-American fighters really were the dominant force in the sport in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s. But that's changed. The demographics have shifted and things have changed. And I guess Devin Haney just didn't get the damn memo. But losing to a quote-unquote white boy like a Lomachenko, like a Baturbiev, like a Josh Taylor, like a Gennady Golovkin, like a Canelo Alvarez, there is no shame in that. These guys aren't bums. These guys aren't journeymen. These guys are elite level, pound for pound level fighters. So I found that to be interesting because Paulie touched on something that many people in the boxing media are just scared to touch, but it's the reality of boxing. There have always been demographic, demographic shifts and demographic waves in this sport. It's as old as the sport itself. And to me, it's one of the coolest things about boxing history because if you look at every demographic wave in America that has pushed through, broken through, uh, and really started to have political power and media presence, it always starts in boxing. 
It starts in boxing, then it goes to other sports, then it goes to other forms of entertainment like music and Hollywood, then it goes into Congress and business, Wall Street, Main Street, all of it. It always starts in boxing. It's what makes our sports so unique and so special. It's part of just one of the things I truly love about boxing. One of the things I love about reading about boxing history, reading all the books and learning about how all these waves took place. And right now we're just in the middle of a different one. And for some reason, it it bothers some people. And I think maybe it scares them. And perhaps it scares them because they're unaware that this has happened before and it's going to happen again. 50 years from now, there's going to be a new wave of fighters that take out the Eastern European power structure. That's going to happen. It's Again, it's as old as boxing itself. But, you know, go back a generation to when uh, the Klitschkos were running the heavyweight division, primarily Vladimir Klitschko. But that division was dominated by Eastern European heavyweights. And when that started to happen, I think a lot of the American fight press kind of just disregarded it in a disrespectful way by saying, oh, these guys are only succeeding because our best athletes, our big, best biggest athletes are going into the NFL and the NBA. Now, there is a kernel of truth to that. However, the NBA skill set, I do think, is applicable to boxing. The cardio of it, the movements, the quickness, the small angles and spacing. I do think that a lot of the skill set in the NBA lends itself well to boxing. But if you look at the mental makeup of the guys in today's NBA, I'm sorry. LeBron James would not cut it in boxing. He wouldn't last a round. The dude's soft as butter. And it's not me just beating up on LeBron. It's the whole league. There's maybe a handful of guys that could compete in boxing. And most of the guys who could are not even American. They're the international players that have the mental makeup to compete in boxing. The NFL obviously has the mental makeup. Those guys hit each other for a living, okay? Now they get helmets and pads and injury timeouts and injured reserve and a second string and a third string and a halftime. They get a lot of breaks boxers don't get. But the mental makeup is there. But the skill set in football, I don't think translates to boxing very well. In fact, I think it's more applicable to MMA and you know the UFC. I think that anybody in the NFL that tried to move over into the UFC would have much more success than moving from the NFL over to boxing. Just because of the way those guys are squared up, low center of gravity, there's a there's a closer, more you know, it's more resemblant to, uh, to to wrestling to that base. So maybe there's a mixture of guys in the NFL and the NBA that could have compete in boxing, but the skill set is so unique. I think it's more of a mental makeup where Americans just don't want to compete in boxing as much because it's so much easier to succeed in football, in basketball. If you're six foot eight and you're a mediocre basketball player, guess what? In America, you could go to college for free. You might not be playing at Duke. It might be a Division II school or something, but you will go to school for free. If you're 300 pounds and you're a mediocre athlete, you will play football somewhere at a Division I school. You might be second string at North Carolina or something, which isn't a good football school. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because I don't watch college football. But you can you could go to school for free. If you're a mediocre boxer 
you're going up against dudes from Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Cuba, Mexico. You're not just going up against fellow Americans. It's going to be very, very difficult. And you're also going up against people that are your size. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to succeed. It is so much harder to succeed at a high level of boxing than those other sports. That's why I think more of our athletes go into those sports. But anyway, that was the heavyweight division. What you've seen now is guys start to come over as featherweights, as lightweights, as middleweights, as light heavyweights. And they're taking over in all these divisions now, right? You look at the ratings and you're seeing these dudes from that part of the earth even now, the, the flyweights, the bantamweights, it's everywhere. So a guy like Vasily Lomachenko, a few years back, I did a video. I can't remember the exact name of it, but look it up, guys. You'll find it. But I talk about – I was on the roof of my old building, standing up there just ranting into my phone. Uh, and, and I talked how Vasily Lomachenko threatens some people because of what he represents. And what I basically meant by that is this. He's a 126 to 135 pounder. Nobody in Lomachenko's division is playing in the NFL or the NBA. That excuse is blown up. Guys like him and guys in some of these other divisions, and it's not just Eastern Europeans. Again, a guy like Canelo Alvarez is a white guy from Mexico that from 154 all the way up to 175, I'd say 168, he's a top fighter. No one his size is in the NBA, okay? So those excuses people use to, in my opinion, disrespect the previous heavyweight generation and disregard it. You can't use that excuse anymore. These guys, they're fighting in divisions where there's no NBA players there, okay? The best American athletes that are 126 pounds, still a lot of them still compete in boxing. The difference now is... The floodgates have opened, and these guys from the other, other parts of the world, people have paved the path for them, and they're starting to follow the lead, the example that was set for them in the previous generation. This is something that's happened time and time again throughout boxing history. As I've mentioned before, I'll continue to mention it. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And I think that a lot of the people that are just scared right now of this new wave and use these terms, white boy, Overrated, limited brawler, privilege. You always hear privilege associated with Vasily Lomachenko. What privilege? What privilege did, did he come over here with? What golden road did he have paid for him? In the dude's second pro fight, he was willing to fight for a world title. I think it was, what, his third or fourth pro fight? He fought for another world title. That was him stepping up. What breaks did Lomachenko get in that Orlando Salido fight? Orlando Salido is a former drug cheat. He cheated on the scales. He cheated throughout the fight going low. The guy who got the benefits and the breaks in that fight was the Mexican guy, not the Eastern European. You know why? Because the Mexican fan base, the Mexican fighters, whether they be from Mexico or Mexican-American, that is the current power structure in the sport. Demographically speaking, that's the power structure. There was an example of a guy who got the breaks because – Orlando Salido fighting at StubHub Center in front of a bunch of Mexican-American fans. That dude's going to get the breaks over this guy who barely spoke English, maybe didn't even speak any English at the point, Lomachenko in his second pro fight. 
Most Americans didn't know who the guy was, unless you were a diehard and knew about his amateur exploits. So there is an example right there. Where the fuck was the privilege? Where was the privilege for Sergei Kovalev against Andre Ward? Where was the privilege for Gennady Golovkin against Canelo Alvarez? I could go over this time and time again. Canelo Alvarez did have a little bit of privilege against Floyd Mayweather because there's no damn way that fight was competitive and C.J. Ross had it a draw. So that, again, the demographic thing is not always about color. I think people focus on color too much. Sometimes it's about culture, heritage, nationality. For the upteenth time, Hispanic is not a, a, a race. Canelo Alvarez, uh, Irislandi Lara, and Juan Francisco Estrada are three different races. It's not necessarily about race or color. Sometimes it's about, there are other, demographics can mean a lot of things, guys. It can mean nationality, heritage, culture. It can mean race. It, it, It can mean gender. It can mean age, class. It can mean a million different things. So all these things play a factor. But anyway, I just found that interesting. And let me just, just to drive this point home, okay, you could go to BoxRec and you could pull up the Ring Magazine's annual ratings going back to the 1920s. But going back to 1989, you could pull up their pound-for-pound ratings. And it's, it's a really cool feature that BoxRec has. There's so many stats on there that you guys could dig into. But I wanted to read for you the 1989 pound-for-pound ratings by Ring Magazine. Number one is Mike Tyson. Then it's uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, Pernell Whitaker, Michael Nunn, Antonio Esparagosa, uh, Meldrick Taylor, Azuma Nelson, Raul Perez, Virgil Hill, and Marlon Starling. That's dominated by black fighters, black American and non-American, but that's clearly dominated. That's what I think many people still have in their mind when they think about boxing. For some reason, a lot of the American press and American media in general and Hollywood they just, for whatever reason, they think once African-Americans hit the top of the mountain, the demographic shift stopped. Okay, it's over now because this group hit the top, so the shifting is over. That's not how this shit works. There's still going to be new waves. There's still going to be new waves. So let's look at um, let's look at 1995 Ring Magazine pound-for-pound ratings. Number one, Pernell Whitaker. Roy Jones Jr., Ricardo Lopez, Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, Yuri Arbakakov, Kostya Zou, Riddick Bowe, Marco Antonio Barrera, Tony, or Terry Norris. So, still mostly black, still mostly African American, but let's look. Now you've got one, two, three, four Hispanic fighters, and mostly Mexican, or Mexican American, right? So, the Mexican, the Latin American presence starting to become known and starting to become the power structure, particularly not yet the power structure. This is when these guys were going through their growing pains, right? But the Latin American presence was felt by the mid nineties already. And you also saw some Eastern European fighters, Kostya Zoo, centrally, uh, mostly Eastern European, but I think a quarter Korean. And then you had uh, Yuri Arbakakov, who is uh, a Russian-Japanese fighter, I believe. So a a little guy, small fighter. So there's a little bit of Eastern European slash Central Asian influence coming in as well. But already in the mid-90s, you see some of the demographics shifting. So let's go to 
But again, if you look at the rest of the 90s, yeah, man, let's go to, okay, let's go to the year I graduated high school, 1997. Number one, Oscar De La Hoya, Mexican-American, pound for pound number one. I believe that's the first time that had happened. Now, you go back to the early 90s, there was one guy, Julio Cesar Chavez, who was number one from 1990 to 1992. There's the guy that paved the way for Oscar De La Hoya, right? A Mexican paving the way for a Mexican American. That's how these things always work. Oscar De La Hoya, number one. Roy Jones, Felix Trinidad, Pernell Whitaker, Evander Holyfield, Terry Norris, Junior Jones, Ricardo Lopez, Ike Corte, Mark Johnson. Still heavy African-American, right? But you still have uh, Latin American fighters as well. So I could keep going with this, guys. I invite you to go look. But I just want to really quickly read our pound-for-pound ratings here at Ring. And just show you the difference right now. Number one, and whether you agree with whether you agree with the numbering, the ordering, fine. You may disagree with some of the, the way the guys are stacked as far as their numbers, but the names pretty much universally agreed upon. Number one, Canelo Alvarez. Number two, Vasily Lomachenko. Then Naoya Inoue, Terrence Crawford, Alexander Usyk, Errol Spence, Gennady Golovkin. Juan Francisco Estrada, Artur Baturbiev, Manny Pacquiao. Some of you guys might have a couple of names different, like a Josh Taylor or somebody like that. Uh, but pretty much, I'm looking at this top 10, two black guys. Okay? Now, someone like Devin Haney, I do think will be on this pound-for-pound list one day. I, I truly do. He's got that kind of talent. Gervonta Davis could be on this pound-for-pound list one day. He's got that kind of talent. It will happen, but I'm looking at this list, and I'm seeing Alvarez, Loma, Golovkin, Baturbiev, Usyk. That's five white dudes, okay? One, two, three, four of them with Eastern European heritage, whether it's partial. with I know Golovkin's a quarter Asian, but again, I'm, I'm going to say in Kazakhstan, Central Asia. So we'll say Eastern European slash Central Asia. But there's also two Asian guys. Noyoya Inoue, Manny Pacquiao, right? So and then, of course, the Mexican power structure is there, but even they're getting pushed out too. The demographic shift is taking place. And I just, the reason why I want to talk about this again, Pauli Malignaggi's comments just made me think, wow, you know, I'd really like to talk about that and really just beat this point home with you guys because it's not something that should be feared. It's not something that should make you angry. It's something we should all embrace. If you're a fan of boxing, you shouldn't give a damn where the fighters are from. And if you see a new wave coming in, it should make you be happy in the sense that the previous generation, the previous demographic power structure, they've made it. They've hit the top of the mountain. And they're spreading their wings and flying out into other endeavors and now you have a new kid on the block struggling to get their respect, struggling to get their equal rights, their power, right? I don't know if I talked about this already. I can't remember. But how many Eastern Europeans are in Congress right now in America? How many Eastern Europeans are in media, actors, you know, running studios in Hollywood? Um, how many of them are on the president's cabinet right now, right? None, none. But 20 years from now? 30, 40 years from now, there will be. The pitcher for the New York Yankees will have a name like Lomachenko or something. The, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys will have a name like Golovkin or something. 
That's how this thing happens. Okay. It's all part of the history of the sport. It should be embraced. And it's something that should be just enjoyed. Enjoy that. I'm looking on this pound for pound list. How many countries are represented here? Let me go down the list. Mexico, Ukraine, Japan, America, Kazakhstan, Russia, the Philippines. Seven different countries, several different continents are represented on our current pound-for-pound list. That's cool. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. So stop being so damn mad, everybody. And, you know, Devin Haney, and this is something that Paulie said too, Devin Haney and a lot of these fighters out there of all walks of life, at some point, if they fight some of these Eastern European dudes, they're probably going to lose to a white boy. 